Today's scripture is Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take a seat. Morning again, everybody. My name's Sean. If I don't know you, I'm going to use this stool one more week. Uh, hurt my ankle playing basketball, and uh, I'm supposed to be wearing, rocking a soft cast, but I'm a grown man, and so I took that thing off real quick. Um, so, uh, anyway, yeah, uh, we are, if you're new, uh, in the book of, the, uh, of Ephesians, which is a, a letter written by Paul and um, to Ephesus. Uh, and up to this point, we've talked about kind of geographically what's going on in that city, um, even religiously what's going on in that city. And we are in a section actually wrapping up today, verse 3 through 14, which is going to, uh, we're going to finish out this big section, which in Greek, as we've said every week, is one long sentence talking essentially about soteriology, which is a fancy way to say the study of salvation. And so we're going to finish that time out today uh, and talk about a really cool point that goes along with all of that. Before we get there, I want to pray. We kind of decided in our service we want to set aside a time before we open up the Word and, and start uh, unpacking it to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. So let me do that real quick for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We pray a prayer of illumination for us that um, your Word would... Uh, come alive, honestly, uh, that we'd be convicted by it, we'd be encouraged by it, we'd be trained uh, in righteousness, uh, that it would lead us into salvation. Thank you so much for it. Just uh, being reminded of those all around the world who don't have it, who wish they had, uh, I mean, two verses even to go over this Sunday, as much Bibles we have, wish they had the resources we have on the internet, to be able to study it and the knowledge that's available in commentaries. Wish they had the ability to get in community as large as we're getting together now to talk about it. Uh, wish that they had a space um, where they could be as loud as they want in worship and their uh, hearts desire those things and yet can't have them because of either politics or oppression, whatever area. And so that really puts us in a posture of humility now. Um, I just pray a prayer of gratefulness over us that we are really are grateful that we get to do what we're doing right now. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 and 14. Today is going to finish out that one long sentence and it's gonna finish it out, I think perfectly because it's gonna finish talking about how salvation finishes, uh, which is crazy and we're gonna uh, get to uh, in, in a second. As we finish this, we'll obviously go into a new section, which we'll just continue to roll through. If, if um, you haven't got a, a study guide and you want to purchase one of those, you can get those to be able to take notes as we go through this. We're just selling them at cost to be able to cover that. Honestly, even if you don't have money and you want a study guide and can't afford it, um, we'd love to give you that for free. So you can see the Connect Desk to, to get that, but to be able to track with what we're doing. Um, here's what I want to do. I want you to look at your uh, text real quick, and we're going to be doing 13 and 14. And as you look at it, there's a couple words I want to point out. And I, here's what I want you to be aware of with what we're doing, okay? Break up verse 13 into two sections, 13a and 13b, and then let's leave all of 14 as just one big verse. Here's what I want you to know going into our text today. 13b and all of 14 
is not true for everyone. More importantly, cannot be true without 13A. So we're going to go at 13A, and we're going to sit on it for a little bit, and then we're going to talk about the implications if that's true. And there's two words that you can see as we kind of roll through our text together. They're the two W words. There's actually another who in here, but there's two words. Look at verse 13. In him, you also win. Okay, there's our first word. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, here's the second word, were sealed. So the second part of were is not true if the when is not true. You tracking with me? So the first part of, we're going to describe this kind of past tense action. So maybe think of it like this. Um, If we all decided to go to the beach together, we're at the beach, and at the end of the day, we spent the whole day at the beach, you come in, and I look at Ryan, I go, Ryan, dude, you are sunburned. What I can do is I can look at him and I can make a declaration of what happened to him in the past to be true because that present tense is true. Meaning, dude, you're sunburned. I can say with pretty close certainty, you clearly spent too much time in the sun. You are sunburned because this happened. And what we're going to see is that the the present reality, the, the beauty that's unpacked in verse 14 and 13b is amazing. It's It's a game changer the way that all other religions try to stamp their approval on our hearts and the reason we wrestle with it, even the proclivity of of, of ourself going out the way we understand Jesus and his gospel can so be wrong if we don't fully understand verse 14. There's something that happens at 13b and 14 that is just so beautiful, but it is not true unless 13a is true. Okay, so I need you to understand that as we go into the text, that's what you're going to see. Another thing I want you to understand as we go into this is uh, a little bit of context. Uh, The first, uh, the third word and what is that? The sixth word you're going to notice is the word you. So in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth. This is important because in the section three through 14, as a matter of fact, all the way in Ephesians up to this point, it's been using the same pronoun over and over to describe something. It's been using plural pronouns. So listen, in Jesus Christ, we are blessed in the heavenly places. He has blessed us with adoption. He has blessed us and adopted us before the foundation of the world. Up to this point, Paul has been using us as a pronoun. Now last week, John preached, and when he did, what happened was in verse 12, the pronoun changed. It went from we, us, to now us, our people, me, me, my crew, And you, so again, look at verse 12, just in case you didn't see it, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. You might immediately think, well, maybe he's talking about a we, an an accrual, all of us together. But then the next declaration is what? And you. And so what I need you to understand contextually, what's happening is something Paul does pretty often. Um, You see it in, for example, Romans 1.16, that that our hope is in the gospel, that the gospel has first come to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Chronologically, Paul's laying out something that, hey, the Ephesian church had not heard, Ephesus had not heard the gospel, the Jews had heard the gospel, we heard it, and now you have heard it. And that's going to be important as we go into our text. So let's do our text together. If you're new, it's going to be a huge uh, Bible study. Honestly, that's what's going to happen. But just uh, to be clear what's going on. So here it is. In him, talking about Jesus... You also, when you heard the word of truth, again, you is uh, what it is, the gospel of your salvation. He's, he now is going to say, let, let me talk to you, Ephesians. And, and let's just, and let, let's go contextual for a second. Let's pretend the letter is written to us, you. 
I need you to look back the corridors of time. I need you to look backwards, and I need you to remember the moments you heard the gospel. Now, there's going to be two things that have to be true for verses 13b and 14 to be true. Number one is you heard the gospel. Maybe you were in your car just reading your Bible. Somebody told you to read it, and you did. Maybe you were in a catastrophe, uh, uh, in a catastrophic part of your life that, that it, things were bad. Maybe um, somebody on the street came up and told you about Jesus. Maybe you were sitting in church and you heard this guy preaching and he was talking about Jesus and you wanted to know him. Honestly, maybe you were just quiet and you're like, this is a game changer. I, I believe like that something happened. That moment, he's going to, to have you recollect the moment you heard the gospel of truth, this gospel, this message of your salvation. That's the first thing. You heard it. And now to the second thing that has to be true and where we have to spend a big part of our time. You heard it and you believed. So I need you to look back if you're a believer in Jesus Christ in here. And we need to, before we get to the beauty of unpacking 13b and all of 14, we have to wrestle with whether or not this is going to be true. The moment when you called on Jesus Christ, because here's the reality, there's tons of false security out there, y'all. There's so much false security. What, what suburban Christianity in our context in the 21st century has afforded us is a lot of false gospels, if I could be straight with you. And there's a lot of easy believism that we've got to begin to talk about. And so here's what I want you to do. Look back at your Bible, and I want you to look at verses 12 and 13 together. In verse 12, Paul is describing him, maybe his people, however you want to break it down, his crew, the Jews, wherever it is, or how, however it plays out. But he's making a delineation between him and the Ephesian church. And he's going to describe their salvation experience first. And I want you to look at it in verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now, talking about you, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So I need you to track what he's doing. In verse 12, he uses what word? He uses the word hoped. In verse 13, he uses the word believed. Now, in Greek, the reason it's translated differently is because it is two Greek words. But I want to contend with you that these are synonyms. These are intentional. As a matter of fact, Spurgeon who doesn't have his own translation at all. But when he translated this verse, listen to this. This is how he translated it. That we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Spurgeon intentionally translates both words as trusted. And I, and I honestly, I, I think that's okay. Now, now, here's why this is important. I've tried to do this a couple times, and it's not showing off some type of Greek bravado, but, but I think it's worth explaining because I think we can get at uh, uh, something that is being unearthed when Paul makes a declaration that is assumed that we might not be uh, assuming. When Paul describes that he has hoped in Jesus Christ, it's in a tense, a tense, T-E-N-S-E, in a tense that shows continual belief. Meaning, if you say, I run, you go, okay. Well, you're not running right now. You're not saying I run. You, you mean you're a runner. You, yeah, yeah. Do you run? Yeah, I run. Well, when you say you run, it's in the present tense technically, but it has this idea of you constantly run. And when Paul describes his salvation experience to say he hoped or trusted, it's yeah, I, I trusted. I, I've hoped over and, and then I hoped and I hoped and I continue to hope and I continue to hope. 
And when he talks about us, he's talking about a past tense experience. When you believed that moment, when you chose to trust in Jesus Christ. Why is this important? Because I think the implications of putting these two words together is talking about when you talk about all 13b and 14 to be true, what has to be true in 13a is you trusted, you believed, or dare I even say you hoped in Jesus Christ, but it didn't end there. There have been residual effects of you first hoping and trusting in Jesus Christ and trusting in Jesus Christ and trusting in Jesus Christ. Uh, A verse that I've tried to put in front of you a lot to explain this exact idea when it unpacks these type of tenses in Greek is Galatians 2.20. When Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. We tend to think you gave your life to Jesus Christ. You've been crucified with Christ. But no, a far better translation of that verse is I am being crucified with Christ. Over and over and over. This is John 3.30. That he must increase and I must decrease. The two verbs there, increase and decrease, are both both a, a continual sense. He must continue to increase and I must continue to decrease. And the only way I know that this first believing or this first hoping is true is if I continue to believe. These words have to be seen together. And so when he says, you believed, there's something going on there. Uh, So I want to do my best to unpack it, because let me read it again. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and and like I said, Spurgeon breaks this down. I I want us to do our best to see that um, examining ourselves, even in uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examining ourselves to see where if we're in the faith, to test ourselves to see if if we're in the faith, is a good thing. And and I, I want to get to 13b, and I want to get to 14, and it's amazing. It is but I don't want anyone walking out of here with a false sense of security. I think it's too dangerous. I think our culture has done this too much. I think uh, American Christianity has sold us a false gospel at times, and we've believed it. So I want you to imagine, you go to Toys R Us, let's say you got a seven-year-old. You walk in, and you want a Lego spaceship. And as you walk in, you want this Lego spaceship, so you go to the Lego section, and you see this box, and it has a Lego spaceship on it. You're like, money. Okay, here's the problem. If you don't have kids, you probably don't know this, but Legos have changed since we were children. Um, When we were kids and you wanted a Lego spaceship, you figured out how to build a Lego spaceship, okay? You just figured it out. You used something called an imagination. You were a master builder, okay? But now you're given a bag of Legos with a 75-page pamphlet that you have to follow to the T. And if you mess up, you got to just break that whole thing down because you don't know where you went wrong and start over, okay? And, and when it breaks, which it will, you have no use to any of, with all these other parts because they're very specific parts for this one Lego spaceship. But you don't know that. And you go into Toys R Us and you want a Lego spaceship. You look at it and there it is. It even comes with a little Lego figurine. You're like, money, 20 bucks, walk out, yes. Well, Lego is probably 80 bucks, but it's all right, okay? So you walk out. You go home, you kind of hear it rattling, you're, that's weird, maybe some of it kind of came apart, it is what it is. You come home, you open up the box, and there's just bags of Legos with said pamphlet. And you're like, what is this? And so you put it all back together in the box, you go back to Toys R Us, and you go to the manager, you go, dude, what's the deal? Like, I wanted a Lego spaceship, you show me on the front, this is the Lego spaceship, what's the deal? You gave me a bag of Legos. He simply looks at you and goes, hey man, listen, It's assumed that you will build the Lego spaceship when you buy this box. Let's be clear. You have the Lego spaceship. 
No one's questioning whether or not you have the Lego spaceship. It's just assumed that if you were to buy this, you're going to build it. And this is what I want to put in front of you. To say that you have trusted and believed in Jesus Christ, the assumption is, the underlining tone when it makes this, when it puts this language in front of us in 13 is, you will revolve your life around that decision. There is no easy believism. So let me put it to you like this. Uh, in Hebrews 3, there's a couple verses I want to share, but I have one of them on the screen for you. I want, I want us to look at Hebrews uh, chapter 3, verse 14. I want you to look at what this says, okay? For we have come to share in Christ. Just stop. Pretend it doesn't say in there. If you in, your room, in the room have come to share in Christ, that first part is true of you. We have come to share in Christ. Yes and amen. We all know that. But there's an if, isn't there? There's an if behind me, isn't there? It's not a conditional if. It's not not a sense of uh, if you do enough things or enough works. No, no. You know this is true. If indeed. You ready? This is is to, to, to examine our faith. We hold our original confidence firm to the end. You share in Jesus Christ. If at the end of your life, look at me, you still share in Jesus Christ. And I get it, man. There there are some of you who feel like I'm never going to be able to kick porn. I'm never going to be able to stop lusting. I'm never going to stop being angry. I'm not going to be a good enough dad. I'm not going to be a good enough mom. I'm not going to be a good enough brother, sister, family member, co-worker, uh, student, whatever it is. And all I can feel, all I want to put in front of you is over and over and over again, press on, press on. The way you can know that you have shared in Christ is if you press on. If you were sold that Christianity was going to be the easy road, the wide road, it was a false gospel. Narrow is the way. Look at me. Press on. And it's not just in Hebrews 3. I had a dozen verses. Let me share a couple more because I think they're worth examining. I want to beat this dead horse. I think it's worth doing. Christ has received you. I'm sorry. Christ has reconciled you. This is in Colossians 1, 21 and 23. This is you'll just have to listen to. Provided that you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. He has reconciled you, provided you don't go off the rails. So so how do I know I've believed? At the end of your life, have you continued to believe? Look at the way the book Revelation says it. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. And be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So this this has to be addressed. I want 13b, and I want 14 Uh, to, to be true of us. I do. I desperately do. But I don't want anyone walking out of here thinking it's true of them. If you have not recognized that the moment you called on Jesus Christ had rippling effects in every other sphere of your life, that it demands everything. And unfortunately, what Jesus has become is a, a good luck charm to the athlete. He, he, he's become some type of side piece. Let's be straight. Jesus has got you the job, but he's not your boss. He's a bumper sticker, a tattoo. He's jewelry. He's everything but master. And we've been sold easy believism. And it's not easy. To believe in Jesus Christ is not easy. Anybody who's been in the faith longer than a week knows there are moments when you don't feel like not growing weary and doing good. So I want to do my best uh, to put in front of us like classic guys who might be, be being forgotten. And 
There's a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who, as we get new believers, it's crazy how much guys don't, men and women don't hear about guys like this or gals like who, who've written crazy books or have had amazing experiences. And there's a book called Cost of Discipleship. I know many of you have heard of it, um, but talks about this exact idea. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany during the time of Hitler's reign. Um, and I read his biography two uh, summers ago, and it was amazing, just the in and out of what he went through and what he had to wrestle with. He talks about, in his book, Cost of Discipleship, this exact idea, except he uses the language, cheap grace. I want to read something, because it's one of his more well-known quotes. But when I was processing this, I immediately thought of what Bonhoeffer talks in, about in Cost of Discipleship. Listen to this language that Bonhoeffer uses. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Beware of cheap grace. For 13b and 14 to be true, to believe in Jesus Christ, our life should revolve around that decision. And everything within me wants to put in front of you, here's how you know you believe. But I think it all leads to the end of our section of scripture here. Is your life to the praise of his glory? So we were sitting uh, two weeks ago. uh, We're going through an internship. We have five uh, pastoral interns right now at Redemption Peoria. And we decided to do a small preaching collective for this text. And one of the guys, Neil, uh, was brought up the fact in talking about believing, and we were kind of going through this, and he talked about how he has uh, ulcerative colitis. Uh, I think that's how it's pronounced. But basically, in his colon, um, it's, it's a mess. It's, it's, it's a disaster, and, and he gets stomach aches all the time, depending on what he eats. But here's what he knows to be true. If he was to eat a whole loaf of bread, he was so hungry he ate a whole loaf of bread, he would literally die. He would, he would actually die. I don't mean like he would be so sick he's dying. No, I mean he would be dead. I would do his funeral. He knows that so much so that even if he eats a small piece of gluten, it, it messes with his intestines in such a way that he gets so sick and it causes him pain. So here's what Neil knows about ulcerative colitis. He knows it's true, and he has to revolve his, his life around that truth. Something you and I do every single day which is prepare meals or eat, he has to decide every time he goes into a meal to revolve his life around the fact that that is true. And you want 10 ways to know how you can believe. And just hear me when I say this. There is no Jesus without being all in. He didn't get you the job and not be your boss. And so your life is to revolve around the truth that you have called upon Jesus Christ is your savior, savior, and you have decided to follow him. And if not, then it's not true. And that sounds like I'm, I'm drawing these crazy lines, but there's text after text after text that force us to reckon with our faith in such a way, to wrestle with our faith in, with our faith in such a way that we have to go, and Jesus, do I, do I love you? Do I love you? Are my affections towards you? And so, as we turn this uh, text in the 13b into 14, I just want us to be aware that when he looks at us and he looks at the Ephesian church and he says, remember when you believed, he doesn't mean that you signed a card or walked an aisle. He doesn't mean to say, yeah, I I was baptized and called on Jesus. No, when, when he's talking about believing, he's talking about right now. 
He's talking about when you go home. He's talking about over and over and over, choosing to press into the cross. The way you go to class, the way you go to work, the way you raise your children, how you spend your tax refund, what up? Everything you do is to revolve around that truth. And so you say, man, I love Jesus, but your bank account says you love yourself. You say you love Jesus, but your classmates tell you you're arrogant. So hear me, our life is to revolve around trusting and believing and hoping in Jesus over and over and over again. And if that's true, thank God for 13b. It says this, that's true, you, talking about us again, were, so that everything up to this point has been true, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. <laughs> this is crazy. Okay. So we're now talking about something that happened in the past. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. But we're also told in Hebrews 3.14 that that sealing was only true if at the end of our life we continued to believe. So when we believed, we were sealed for the end of our faith. Get it? Right? No, no, no. Okay, so, 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 so here's what's important about this. Here, here's what I... The man and woman in the room right now who is struggling with pornography or said anger or said greed... Or, or you're just not getting it right as a parent. Look at me. This is so important. You're never going to get it right. But if your heart turns within you every time, if, 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 if your heart palpitates and goes, but I need to know you more. I hate this. I hate that I'm doing this. I hate that my flesh draws me to this. I hate that I continue to be the old man. And then you go into bouts of depression and bouts of you're not good enough and and you've gone too far. Let me remind you, believer in Jesus Christ, you can't go far enough. You are sealed. Sealed appears twice. It appears three times in the New Testament, but twice for for our context. One of the sealing is the way that the tomb was sealed. But it appears as as a noun and it appears here as a verb. As a noun, it's simply like like a stamp, a signet ring. So think of of a letter fold it up, put it in an envelope, dropped wax on it, and a king takes a signet ring and presses into the wax. That's a sealing. As a verb, it, it, it means to, as an owner, provide full authority that this will be done. Because the next word that's going to be used after we get to the Holy Spirit, which we will in a second, it uses the word guarantee. That the Holy Spirit is a guarantee, which is the same idea, right? I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, growing up around Sunny Slope Community Center, Basketballs are stolen all the time, but I remember being nine or 10 years old and I had, I was given a student ID because in elementaries and junior high and they, anyway, I had a student ID. And so I'm giving, I give them this student ID. Um, and if I didn't have a student ID, a rec ID, and I'm like, Hey, I, I want to use a basketball to go play. I had to put that ID down as collateral because they know I need to get my student ID back. I mean, you do this, this doesn't happen as often because everything is ran in the future, but you, so when you run out of gas, you'd go to a gas station, right? And you need to borrow a gas tank, you would leave your driver's license because they know you're going to leave that as collateral to come back. Your, your driver's license isn't worth the gas can. If it is, it's probably expired and good for you. But regardless, the point is you put down collateral, down payment for houses, down payment for cars. You've put down something to say, this is going to be paid. And what, what the gospel isn't putting in front of us is God has guaranteed. He has set as a pledge that this 
is true. What is it? What is it? That you've received the Holy Spirit. So go back to that moment. Let me take you through my journey. I'm, uh, I'm a freshman in high school, doing whatever I want. And uh, I've shared my, my salvation experience many times, so I'll be brief. Long story short, my buddy and I are talking about if we're going to go to heaven, we think we are because we're good people, and we end up in a tiny little charismatic church. When I say charismatic, charismatic, like flag-waving, it was, it was legit. Um, so we sit in the back and we laugh the whole time. There was this lady, never forget, her name was Grace, older lady, long white hair. We kept saying, Grace in your face, Grace in your face. She was just preaching, and she was preaching. And the irony of it all, right, I'm saved in a charismatic world um, in an egalitarian environment, now being complementarian and reformed. It's hilarious. But regardless, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God uses this woman. At the end of service, my buddy and I are, are sitting there, and I just heard what she had to say, and I said, this, something's happening. I don't know what to tell you. Something's happening. My heart was, was turning and, and I knew I needed this Jesus that she was talking about. And so I find myself up at the front and I cannot explain to you what happened. I, I can't give you, unless you are a believer, the language I'm going to use from this point on won't make sense. But hear me, though I loved to, to lust and have sex with whoever I wanted to, though I love to, to talk however I wanted to, to dress however I wanted to, to spend my money however I wanted to, this strange thing began to happen. My heart began to turn towards those things. And suddenly, though I loved R. Kelly desperately, I'm like, man, this dude talks about sleeping with women a lot. This is affecting my mind. I don't want to listen to R. Kelly anymore. Now, though my old man loves R. Kelly, hear me, my new man, whatever happened within me, started to convict me. It started to change. It did something within me. Hear me, I was a new creation. I received the Holy Spirit. Now, I come from a tradition that this language is used differently, right? So some of you might come from the same tradition where you receive the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you haven't received the Holy Spirit. In the Reformed community, sometimes I wonder if we even have the Holy Spirit, right? You're like, yeah, I don't know. I just got the Holy Spirit and there's been no change at all. So let me just very simply put to you um, what this text I think is saying. The moment you believed, you received the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is a promise. And how you can know you have the Holy Spirit is the effects of what the Holy Spirit has done in Scripture over and over and over again. From the beginning of time, what do we know about the Spirit? When the Spirit comes and, uh, and he evolves, involves himself with creation, something changes. When the Holy Spirit is involved on the day of Pentecost, something changes. There is no story inside of or outside of, te- uh, of the text to, to reconcile any type of the Holy Spirit has come and there hasn't been a reckoning. When the Holy Spirit comes, things change every single time. And some of you, you felt the Holy Spirit come and you knew immediately you had to tell everybody. Man, you wouldn't have told people about Jesus before that, but you've received the Holy Spirit. Some of you, you knew you had to stop cussing. You knew you had to stop sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend. You, you, you knew you had to, to, to uh, continue in relationship and classmates or even with your folks or with your kids. You had to be more humble. You had to be more patient. You knew there was someone else guiding you. When you received the Holy Spirit, something changed. There is what we call in Galatians 5, fruit. And this is important because how you could know that you've been sealed 
is that you've received the Holy Spirit. Something has changed within you. Now listen to the language that it uses. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of something. And this is where we'll start to wrap up our time. Who is a guarantee, the next words, I love this, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, so let's talk about why easy believism um, is heresy. Let's talk about real quickly why believing and continuing to believe is super, super important. Because receiving, upon receiving the Holy Spirit, you acquired um, a promise for the future. Now, those of you who are raised in church, you've only talked about acquiring what the Holy Spirit has given you in the future. It's only been in the future tense. That receiving Jesus Christ has got you a ticket to heaven. That receiving Jesus Christ has got you there. And so you process this inheritance, which let's be clear, we all know what inheritance is, right? Inheritance is receiving something. So I asked my eight-year-old son, Titus, buddy, what's an inheritance? He says, well, if grandma and papa die, we get something, right? And of course, I have to immediately correct him. No, no, no. When grandma and papa die, mommy and daddy get something. When mommy and daddy die, you get something. We, let's get the order right, okay? Um, so so when, when, when grandma and papa die, mommy and daddy get something. When mommy and daddy die, you get, you, we pass on something. Maybe that's jewelry. Maybe that's furniture. I have no idea. Something that's important to you. Maybe it's money, monetary, whatever it is. But that's what inheritance is, right? So we get this idea. Well, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive this inheritance. Now, but this is weird, but you haven't acquired possession of that inheritance yet. Now, there's a promise that you're going to receive it. So you've only processed receiving this inheritance as one day you're going to die and you'll spend eternity with him. But this is where things get so mixed up. This is why easy believism is so easy to believe. Because um, what the gospel does in the fullest sense, I think is articulated best when we talk about heaven in the right way. So um, there's a book called Heaven by a guy named Randy Alcorn. I've brought the book up before. Um, If you're interested at all in um, similar to Cost of Discipleship, it's a good read just for your formation. The book uh, Heaven by Randy Alcorn is written on what is the new earth? When we die, what is heaven going to be like? And I think in my opinion, he goes in the most depth and I think um, the most readable way to understand all these types of doctrines uh, and theologies and, and, and the truth that's there. And in this book, he talks about describing what this inheritance truly is. When we talk about receiving this inheritance but not acquiring possession of it, we're living in a time that is kind of unique. It's a little bit different. So listen to what Randy Alcorn says uh, in his book, Heaven. I love it because it's Exodus-type language. It's redemption, restoration uh, type language. He says this, If you're a child of God, you you do not just go around once here on earth. You don't get just one earthly life. Yeah, okay. Some of you are going, oh Lord, what am I in, right? So his point is, if you're a child of God, you don't just get one go around here on earth. So the the YOLO mentality, that's not true. That's not true. And and be clear, he doesn't just say you get one uh, go around here on earth and then you get another go around in heaven. No, no, no. You get another go around here on earth, okay? Yeah, some of you guys are like, oh, yep, okay, let's do it. You get another one far better and without end. You'll inhabit the new earth. You'll live with God, with the God you cherish and the people you love as an undying person uh, on an undying earth. Nothing is more often misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. 
We think that we want sex, a new job, a raise, a doctorate, a spouse, a large screen television, a new car, a cabin in the woods, a condo in Hawaii. But what we really want is the person we were made for, Jesus, and the place we were made for, the new heavens and the new earth. Nothing less can satisfy. So the way that we've talked about you one day dying and going to heaven is partially true. So let let me give you some chronology here. If you were to die this day, you would absolutely be in the presence of the Lord. Yes and amen. There's no doubt about that. Unfortunately, you've counted that as your inheritance. The fullest point of scripture and something we talk about a lot within redemption is that it doesn't end there. 90 minutes in heaven is, is a fallacy because it doesn't end there. Your hope should not be in just heaven. Your hope is in the restoring of all things. And so your inheritance is in the fact that you long right now for something more. You long to be made whole. And one day, Jesus will return and he will restore, pay very careful attention to my next words, this earth to the way that it's supposed to be. He will restore and remove this earth earth. And so when you declare not of this world, eh, maybe not of this age, but this world, God did not lose in Genesis three. Let the prince of the power of the air have this battle, but God wins the war. Jesus will return, restore all things back to the way that they are. He's not making all new things. He's making all things new. And your inheritance is in the fact that one day you too will be given a resurrected body. That one day you will live on the new earth. Now hear me, the reason this is true is because you get to walk in that current reality now. That we live in a time of what Reformed theologians have called already not yet. That though this truth is true and though the promise is real, the world is still broken. But you've been given the Holy Spirit as a foretaste of what is to be. So something an example that uh, has been given from the stage many times, but it's something that comes from Mike Goheen's drama of scripture. That if I go home tonight and Candace decides she's making spaghetti, she's making the spaghetti sauce, she dips a little ladle in the spaghetti sauce, she says, Sean, can you try this? I try it. Okay, it's good. Spaghetti sauce. I go to the living room and uh, Corbin asks me, Dad, is dinner ready? No, not quite yet. Well, wait a minute. Did you have dinner? Did you try dinner? Yes. I mean, I, I did try dinner. That's true. Yes and amen to that. I, I didn't have all of dinner. So though it's true that now you've received this promised Holy Spirit, you live in a time which isn't not yet fulfilled. Now this is the key, and I hope this is the punchline of why this is all important and why this calls us to more than just easy believism. Because right now, you are to live as a sign of what is to come. That when you're a mechanic, you don't steal and cut corners, not because it's the right thing to do, but because there is no cutting corners on the new earth. On the new earth, there, there's, there's absolute love. Love is complete. The, the reason you're a good student is because you're a reflection of good and perfect true knowledge will one day be fulfilled on the new earth. You are a sign of what is to come. And the Holy Spirit is working you out to the way you are supposed to be. Let's go back two weeks ago. He's making you fully human again, bro. He's making you fully human again. He's making you the way you're supposed to be, like the earth will be one day. But the language, of course, says, until we acquire possession of it. We're not there yet. So my prayer for us as a church, that we would continue to live on mission as people who belong 
as citizens of the kingdom of God and not of this earth. And this is going to become important because now we're going to start to move into times in the next probably eight to ten weeks. We're eventually going to hit race. And we're going to have to start to talk about political affiliations. And we're going to have to recognize that we are a product, a son and daughter of the kingdom of God before we're a Republican or Democrat. That we belong to the the process of what God is doing in the kingdom for the new earth within us beyond our conservative or liberal bents. And we need to repent of some of that. Especially in all that is going on, in the midst of all the brokenness we feel when it comes to conversations of race and guns and all of this, we want to blast people on Facebook, but we're not being citizens of the kingdom. So I, I pray that we would continue to be signposts and point towards the way things are supposed to be, things, the way things will actually be one day. But right now we don't acquire possession of it. But hear me, it's true. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, breathe, it's true. You're sealed. It's guaranteed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this text. We'd be amiss to not recognize that our text ends as the section does in light of all that's going on to the praise of your glory. Thank you that the book and the section of scripture starts like that. It's woven all the way through that no matter what's going on within us, the contemplation, the questions that we may have, our heart, the bent of our heart may be, we're sealed, it's guaranteed to the praise of his glory. That we don't have to fight for our salvation, but to the praise of his glory. That we hate sin. We we continue to fight against our flesh because we are sealed to the praise of his glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your atoning work. Thank you for you being Christus Victor. Thank you for the fact that we walk in something that will be true one day and our hearts, spirit, our hearts feel like we've acquired possession of it, but we have not yet fully acquired possession of it. And so we cry over and over and over again, come Jesus, return Jesus, make things all new. Jesus, please return, please return. We're grateful for this text as a reminder. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.